Hey, you found us. Welcome, everybody. This is Scripture Gems. Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is John Fulmer, and this is my brother, Jay. How's it going, John? We are two brothers who just can't get enough of the Scriptures. Yeah, we love them. This episode, we are going over the Come, Follow Me lesson for June 8th through 14th, 2020. This is covering Alma, chapters 8 through 12. And now let's bring out the star of the show, the Scriptures. Oh, this is so wonderful. I have never been so honored to play a supporting role. Welcome, Scriptures. <laughs> now let's consult the Scripturematic 6000 to find out how long it will take to read this week's reading. 46 minutes, 33 seconds. Woo! All right. Wow. That's a big one. We can do it. Well, you can, yes. If you split it up, it'll be 6 minutes, 39 seconds every day. You can do that. Yeah. We abs- can all do that. Absolutely. And listen, guys, I know sometimes the reading might, certainly the show sometimes feels a little overwhelming. We want to spend as much time in these chapters as seems reasonable. If you need to skip ahead or back, feel free to jump chapter to chapter. We're going to include the time codes in the description. So you just click, oh, I want to do chapter whatever, and just click that and it'll take you right to it. So you can pause. You don't have to listen to the whole show at once. But, you know, if you want to, we'd love to have you. Now, these time codes are posted in the YouTube edition. So for those of you subscribing to the audio podcast, uh, you don't have that. But (laughs) most of you are listening to us while you're commuting or whatever anyway. Yeah, so so you're stuck with us. Yep. (laughs) You're here for the duration. So let's jump into it. Alma has been preaching to the people of Zarahemla and to the people of Gideon. And now... He is continuing onward. We're covering, this is chapter 8. We start off and it says, And now it came to pass that Alma returned from the land of Gideon after having taught the people of Gideon many things which cannot be written. Let's take a quick pause there. What does that mean? Interesting. Is it that we didn't have enough room to talk about everything that he talked to the people of Gideon about? Therefore he couldn't read it? Yeah, or is it perhaps a situation where maybe he was talking about things that were too sacred to necessarily write in a public setting? And that would be in keeping with how ready the people of Gideon were for sacred prophecies. We talked last week that the people of Gideon were actually living the word of God very well and received a very different message from the people of Zarahemla. Yeah. Kind of causes one to pause. Interesting, interesting. All right. So having established the order of the church according as he had before done in the land of Zarahemla. Yea, he returned to his own house at Zarahemla to rest himself from the labors which he had performed, and thus ended the ninth year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi. So he started out in the commencement of the ninth year of the reign of the judges, so he's been preaching all year. It's been a big year for him. Nice. And he's allowed himself to take some time to go home and rest himself and prepare for the next stint. Well, and it seems to indicate that it's not just the preaching that we're reading that's happening. There must be a lot of other work that he's doing in these cities as well. Well, sure. And we don't really know how much time is taken for travel, right? Well, they're pretty close. The map shows pretty close proximity, Gideon, to this, but we're going to be going further out as we uh, hit the next verses. So now it's the 10th year of the reign of the judges. Alma is traveling west of the river Sidon to Melek to preach and baptize there. And he's very successful, it would seem. And so now we get to another big trip. 
We go from Milik to Ammonihah. And I'll bet that's going to go really well because he's had two in a row successes. That's well, true. Zara, Gideon and Milik were, were, were great. And actually, Zara Hemley had good success in Zara Hemley. So, you know, we could mark that up. So it's probably going to be awesome in Ammonihah. It's smooth sailing from here I on think out. so. Or not. <laughs> Verse 6. So that when he had finished his work at Melik, he departed thence and traveled three days' journey on the north of the land of Melik, and he came to a city which was called Ammonihah. Now, it was the custom of the people of Nephi to call their lands and their cities and their villages, and yea, even all their small villages, after the name of him who first possessed them. And thus it was with the land of Ammonihah. And it came to pass that when Alma had come to the city of Ammonihah, he began to preach the word of God unto them. Now Satan had gotten great hold upon the hearts of the people of the city of Ammonihah. Therefore they would not hearken unto the words of Alma. Nevertheless, Alma labored much in the spirit, wrestling with God in mighty prayer, that he would pour out his spirit upon the people who were in the city, that he would also grant that he might baptize them unto repentance. Nevertheless, they hardened their hearts, saying unto him, Behold, we know that thou art Alma, and we know that thou art high priest over the church which thou hast established in many parts of the land, according to your tradition, and we are not of thy church, and we do not believe in such foolish traditions. And now we know that because we are not of thy church, we know that thou hast no power over us, and thou hast delivered up the judgment seat unto Nephihah. Therefore thou art not the chief judge over us. Now when the people had said this, and withstood all his words, and reviled him, and spit upon him, and caused that he should be cast out of their city, he departed thence, and took his journey towards the city which was called Aaron. Quick aside, this might actually be the earliest recording of the phrase, you're not the boss of us. <laughs> Paraphrasing, of course. I, yes, you know, yeah. language, translation, so on and so well, forth. Well, they've but got a fair that, point. It's just so amusing. But what did they think he was trying to do? It seems like they're saying, you're trying to boss us around from your religion. And we find out later that most of the people there are, are followers of Nehor. So they have a different religious tradition. But why not listen to what he has to say? Why such a vitriolic reaction? It's a very interesting point. And have any of you seen this type of reaction when speaking about religion on, say, social media? Have you had friends or friends of friends who are perhaps not religiously minded, and perhaps really not strong in the understanding of their own faith, which is what I find to be more consistent, just lash out at any mention of faith or knowledge that you know something is true or gratitude for what makes you happy. John, it's very strange. Can I flip that around? Let's hope we are not these people. Are we ever at a point where we lash out at other people who have different religious views than we do? That we revile well, them? That's a very good point. That we verbally spit on them? These things ought not so to be. I had a, a missionary companion. He stayed with me for a summer after our mission. And on our mission, when we had been reviled or actually spit upon, he said, make sure that I never become like those people. And we were walking around campus and someone who was from an evangelical tradition 
came up and started to talk to us about being saved and Jesus. And he was really jerky to him. And I said, hey, do you remember this time when we talked about this? He just couldn't see himself in that place. To him, he felt justified. And yet he was doing the exact same thing that he wanted to make sure he never did that he saw others do. So let's make sure we're not those people. Good point. Excellent point. There's a really interesting phrase in verse 10. Alma labored much in the spirit, wrestling with God in mighty prayer. I found a quote in the Institute Manual. This is Elder Joseph B. Worthlin. This was from a collection of BYU speeches, 2002 to 2003, a speech called Improving Our Prayers. He says, quote, May I ask you today to consider the effectiveness of your prayers? How close do you feel to your Heavenly Father? Do you feel that your prayers are answered? Do you feel that the time you spend in prayer enriches and uplifts your soul? Is there room for improvement? There are many reasons our prayers lack power. Sometimes they become routine. Our prayers become hollow when we say similar words in similar ways over and over so often that the words become more of a recitation than a communication. This is what the Savior described as vain repetitions. Such prayers, he said, will not be heard. Do your prayers at times sound and feel the same? Have you ever said a prayer mechanically, the words pouring forth as though cut from a machine? Do you sometimes bore yourself as you pray? Prayers that do not demand much of your thought will hardly merit much attention from our Heavenly Father. When you find yourself getting into a routine with your prayers, step back and think. Meditate for a while on the things which you really are grateful, end quote. I know that's something that I need to work on. It's really hard sometimes to get too comfortable in your prayers. For sure. So now we get an interesting visitor in verse 14. And it came to pass that while he was journeying thither, being weighed down with sorrow, wading through much tribulation and anguish of soul because of the wickedness of the people who were in the city of Ammonihah. It came to pass, while Alma was thus weighed down with sorrow, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him, saying, Blessed art thou, Alma. Therefore lift up thy head and rejoice, for thou hast great cause to rejoice. For thou hast been faithful in keeping the commandments of God from the time which thou received thy first message from him. Behold, I am he that delivered it unto you. And behold, I am sent to command thee that thou return to the city of Ammonihah and preach again unto the people of the city. Yea, preach unto them. Yea, say unto them, except they repent the Lord God will destroy them. For behold, they do study at this time that they may destroy the liberty of thy people. For thus saith the Lord, which is contrary to the statutes and judgment and commandments which he has given unto his people. Wow. Several things oh, that we need yes. to talk about. Yes. Number one, it's the same angel. Is it that great? That is so cool. So just so that everyone's clear on what we're talking about, as you'll recall, back in the lesson that we had on Mosiah 24 to 28, 
There was an angel that came to stop Alma and the sons of Mosiah from destroying the church. And this led to Alma the Younger's conversion. And, and he the spoke with a voice of thunder and threatened him with destruction and, you know, which were the consequences of his actions. And they feared him. And here he is again. Can you imagine? Now, he's a person. He's somebody. I don't know who he is, but he's somebody. We'll call him Gerald. Yeah. The fact that he gets to do two missions to the same guy, but at completely different angles. The first time he's commanded to go down and tell Alma, he must have been, oh, come on, Alma. You've got to repent. I've got to really, you know, you're in real trouble and you've done really bad things. And here's the message. And then when he must have gotten this, the Lord says, okay, angel, I want you to go down again and tell him this other message. The angel must have just been giddy with excitement. At least that's what it seems like. You know, he just compliments him. He's so excited about the changes Alma's made. We talk about this notion of how the angels rejoice in heaven over one sinner that repents. You know, they're cheering up there. And so when he gets a chance to come down and then announce, hey, do you remember me? You may not have because you kind of passed out, but I was that guy. And I got another message for you, but it's really happy. Well, well for it's, you, it's, it's it, happy yeah, for you. I was going to say, it's not happy for them. Okay, I should have been. I was, yeah, yeah. So he's the, at least on the better end of this receiving of the message. I'll say, point. I just, I just, I love that. You know, we're taught that ministering angels. I don't have the quote with me, so I'm going to have to put it up on the screen. Memory is that it's Elder Holland who is quoting somebody else uh, in general conference on this, and I'll find it. And in it, he talks about how loved ones and family members and others are called to be ministering angels for us. The people that knew us in this life and came to love us. I don't know if that applies to Alma exactly in that situation, but it would be really, really cool if it did. I was going to point out, certainly, and this is, to be very clear, this is totally speculation, but it would be interesting We don't really know much about Alma the Elder's family. Could it be that this angel is maybe Alma the Younger's grandfather? Maybe it's Abinadi. That would be cool, too. But it's somebody who gets a, you know, a second visit. And I think that's that's just the best. It is. It's pretty amazing. So interesting that we brought up Abinadi because this is kind of a similar message that Abinadi gave, right? This is a warning to the people of Ammonihah in verse 16, except they repent, the Lord God will destroy them. And why will he destroy them? Well, in verse 17, we are told, they do study at this time that they may destroy the liberty of thy people. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Well, we had that experience with Amlicai at the beginning, and we're going to have that with other people going forward. So... This is a time to try to stop it before it really causes problems. It's interesting how important liberty is to the Lord. Yeah. And it makes sense if you think about it from the standpoint of a war in heaven. You know, we fought a war in heaven over our agency. Yeah. Speaking of the use of agency, I love Alma's response to this because it's completely different than his response the first time the angel came to him. The second time, it's a different message. And what's his response? Uh, In verse 18, he returned speedily to the land of Ammonihah, and he entered the city by another way. Yea, by a way which is south of the land of Ammonihah. So what's the significance, do you think, of this other way? Well, to me, 
it's kind of interesting, again, tying back to Abinadi. That was kind of his deal, too. He entered the city by another way, and he was in disguise. So that's the second time he came to visit. After two years, then he came back another right, time. Right, yes. Yeah. His, his, his second visit. And this he is knew that he had visit. to get into the city. Exactly. Yeah. This is He's coming back, and he realizes that he can't go in through the same way because he's probably going to meet the same people and meet the same end. So we've got to come in another way. And the fact that he returned speedily, that's wonderful. Mm. You know, I'm sure he was very downhearted about the people of Ammonihah and was ready to just kind of turn his back on them and head to the city of Aaron. But he's gotten this message from this angel and he's decided, okay, no, they need me to go back. I'm going to go back. It's wonderful. Very inspiring. It is inspiring. I love how he serves. What a great example to me. I wonder if this angel is done with his missions this evening. And I would suspect that he's not. Going on to verse 19, we get a new character introduced, a man named Amulek. And as he entered the city, he was hungered, And he said to a man, Will ye give an humble servant of God something to eat? And the man said unto him, I am a Nephite, and I know that thou art a holy prophet of God. For thou art the man whom an angel said in a vision, Thou shalt receive. Therefore go with me into my house, and I will impart unto thee of my food. And I know that thou wilt be a blessing unto me and my house. And it came to pass that the man received him into his house, and the man was called Amulek. And he brought forth bread and meat and set before Alma. So an angel visited Amulek and told him about Alma's coming to him. Which angel could that be? I don't know. I don't now, know. We're not it doesn't told. Say. It doesn't this say. is speculation, but wouldn't it be interesting? <laughs> well, he's already there. You right. Know, he he's knows the town. situation. Right. So, you know, Gabriel did that same kind of thing with Mary and Joseph. So, you know, and Chuck, sure. maybe. Anyway, there's an interest, another interesting phrase. What a weird thing to say. To be in a Nephite village, in a Nephite land, and introduce yourself to a man and have him say, I'm a Nephite. Yep. One way to understand that might be that there are other people who are not Nephites in that land. Because even those other residents of the city who say we're not of your religion, are they not still Nephites? Because he says, I'm a Nephite, therefore I know you're a prophet of God. Maybe it's a statement of religion. But it's also possibly a statement of national allegiance in a land where there's other people besides Nephites, even though it's a Nephite land. There's an article, I'll link it in the description, from Dr. John Sorensen that explores a lot of different scriptural pieces that indicate that the Nephites and Lamanites weren't the only ones in the land and uses phrases like this from the Book of Mormon, which may have significance to that. If you're interested, I'll post that in the description. Well, and I think one of the other things to consider is that it's possible that Amulek recognized Alma as a Nephite and wanted to at least approach him to say, well, I'm a Nephite too. You know, so yeah. I, we have something in common. I don't know, but it is something very interesting to think about. For sure. So in verse 23, Alma tells Amulek that he's the high priest. And that's another odd thing to me, by the way, is shouldn't Amulek know that he's the high priest? I mean, certainly the people that threw him out knew he was the high priest. Well, he should have known it so. from TV, the news that night. 
<laughs> well, and we've talked before on the show about a problem called presentism. And that is the idea of projecting current situations or current cultures on a past culture. And one of the things that I would want to help remind all of us about is that communication today is more robust than it has ever been at any other time in the world, and certainly much more than it was here. And so it's possible that really only a handful of people in Ammonia. We did already know that they didn't really embrace the church at Zarahemla. Mm-hmm. And Some so of them certainly that, knew that he was the high priest, but maybe Amulek didn't. Yeah, yeah. So in verses 24 to 26, Alma talks to Amulek and he shares his story. In 27, and Alma tarried many days with Amulek before he began to preach unto the people. Now, how long is many days? I hmm. ran a phrase search multiple times to try to, and the bottom line is there isn't, it's anywhere from like eight days. The one that we have is in Mosiah 7, 4 that says it's many days, even 40 days. So we have that, hmm. but then there's also Alma 9, which we're going to talk about in the next chapter, which, you know, says that Christ will come in not many days. And that's, yeah, we're talking over a hundred years. So... Probably not a hundred years. No, probably not that. So no one else out there may be obsessing about how long many days is. For the two of you that are, that's, you know, let it go. We feel for you. Let it go. It's, we don't know how many, many days is. (laughs) So verse 29, and the word came to Alma saying, go. And also say unto my servant Amulek, go forth and prophesy unto this people saying, repent ye. For thus saith the Lord, except ye repent, I will visit this people in mine anger. Yea, and I will not turn my fierce anger away. And Alma went forth, and also Amulek among the people, to declare the words of God unto them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. Wow. So now Amulek is a missionary companion to Alma. Yeah. and How exciting. For the next seven chapters, they're going to have some powerful adventures, uh, I hate to even use the word adventures, that sounds like fun, challenges in Ammonihah together. They certainly have a very significant mission. Yep. And we're going to have a lot of fun talking about it. And so that brings us to chapter 9. So Alma is preaching to Ammonihah again and saying in verse 1, And again, I, Alma, having been commanded of God that I should take Amulek and go forth and preach again unto this people, or the people who were in the city of Ammonihah, it came to pass as I began to preach unto them. They began to contend with me, saying, Who art thou? Suppose ye that we shall believe the testimony of one man, although he should preach unto us that the earth should pass away? Uh, Skipping to verse 6. And they said, Who is God that sendeth no more authority than one man among this people to declare unto them the truth of such great and marvelous things? Spoiler. They're in for a surprise. Yeah. (laughs) But I wanted to bring up, too, in a way, in this chapter, you can kind of sympathize with the people of Ammonihah from the standpoint of how do they know this isn't just some nut job with a sandwich board saying that the end is near, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Where, where is his authority? Which is a little surprising because he is the high priest of the Church of God throughout the land of Nephi. And we know that some of them know that. Yeah, they do. 
All right, now as we read this next set of verses, watch for what Alma says is the reason that they've lost their faith. So they stood forth to lay their hands on me, but behold, they did not. And I stood with boldness to declare unto them. I'm going to take a break for a minute. Notice that we're speaking first person here. Maybe it's not important all the time, but when we're speaking third person, that's Mormon, our narrator. But when we're speaking first person like this, he's quoting Alma's record. Right. And I stood with boldness to declare unto them. Yea, I did boldly testify unto them, saying, Behold, O ye wicked and perverse generation, how have ye forgotten the tradition of your fathers? Yea, how soon ye have forgotten the commandments of God. Do ye not remember that our father Lehi was brought out of Jerusalem by the hand of God? Do ye not remember that they were all led by him through the wilderness? And have ye forgotten so soon how many times he delivered our fathers out of the hands of their enemies and preserved them from being destroyed even by the hands of their own brethren? Yea, and if it had not been for his matchless power and his mercy and his long-suffering towards us, we should unavoidably have been cut off from the face of the earth long before this period of time and perhaps been consigned to a state of endless misery and woe. Behold, now I say unto you that he commandeth you to repent. And except ye repent, ye can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. But behold, this is not all. He has commanded you to repent, or he will utterly destroy you from off the face of the earth. Yea, he will visit you in his anger, and in his fierce anger he will not turn away. So the key words in that stretch, forgotten, is mentioned three times. And do remember, ye not remember? Is mentioned two times. Yeah. There seems to be a real memory problem here. Well, and how easy is that to begin to get so caught up in what's happening now that we forget what the Lord's done for us before the children of Israel came out through the Red Sea on dry ground. And yet soon they forgot the Lord's power. In small ways, the Lord has blessed us and lifted us and preserved us. And yet when things get scary, we get fearful, we forget. Or and sometimes when things get peaceful and prosperous. Oh, we forget then too. That's a great example. That's very true. So that's the first thing he warns them about. This is why you guys have fallen away, why your faith has fallen. You've forgotten. Now, I made an earlier comparison to Alma's message to Ammonihah, to Abinadi's message to the people of King Noah. But I want to point out an important difference. Abinadi's message to King Noah's people was repent or you're going to be in bondage. And then eventually your time for repentance is past. You will be in bondage. Alma's message is repent or you're going to be destroyed. Well, and I don't know. We didn't get his first visits message. True. So I'm not sure on that. But Abinadi's second message was also you will be in bondage. And this time, if you don't repent, you will be destroyed. So we, we may have missed that step. In there, but you're absolutely right. They're in a dark circumstance. 
They're in a different place than yeah. the people of King Noah. Yeah, and they were pretty bad. So going on, verse 14. Now I would that ye should remember that inasmuch as the Lamanites have not kept the commandments of God, they have been cut off from the presence of the Lord. Now we see that the word of the Lord has been verified in this thing, and the Lamanites have been cut off from his presence, from the beginning of their transgressions in the land. Nevertheless, I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for them in the day of judgment than for you if ye remain in your sins. Yea, and even more tolerable for them in this life than for you, except ye repent. For there are many promises which are extended to the Lamanites, for it is because of the traditions of their fathers that caused them to remain in their state of ignorance. Therefore the Lord will be merciful unto them and prolong their existence in the land. And at some period of time, they will be brought to believe in his word and to know of the incorrectness of the traditions of their fathers. And many of them will be saved. For the Lord will be merciful unto all who call on his name. But behold, I say unto you, that if ye persist in your wickedness, that your days shall not be prolonged in the land. For the Lamanites shall be sent upon you, and if ye repent not, they shall come in a time when you know not, and ye shall be visited with utter destruction, and it shall be according to the fierce anger of the Lord. A couple of things here. Number one, he talks about promises extended to the Lamanites because of the traditions of their fathers. Where are the sons of Messiah right now? Are they yeah. not teaching to the Lamanites right now? Yeah, they're busy. Is it possible that we've already had an interaction with a certain king named Lamoni? Oh, definitely. That might have spurred a huge movement at this point? Yeah. Something to think about. It's amazing that Alma clearly doesn't seem to know that this promise that he's talking about is actually actively going on right now. That's really cool. Next week is when we're going to talk about specifically events going on that tie into Ammonihah. It's connected to Ammonihah in a really cool way, but we'll talk about that next week. But to John's point, absolutely. Those conversions are in full swing right now in the land and they don't even know it. It's amazing. But not only that, I want to point out in verse 18, earlier on, Alma had said, you need to repent or you're going to be destroyed. In verse 18, Alma has spelled out very specifically where that destruction is going to look like. Yeah. That the Lamanites will be sent upon you at a time you know not. But notice it doesn't say the Lamanites will come upon you. They are going to be sent by the Lord. They will be sent Interesting. unto them. And the Lord's done this in other Old Testament times. He, he's used other nations, wicked nations to punish Israel when they've turned away from him. He has. So in the next few verses, Alma reminds the people of Ammonihah how blessed the Nephites have been. But he specifies in verse 23, And now behold, I say unto you that if this people who have received so many blessings from the hand of the Lord should transgress contrary to the light and knowledge which they do have, I say unto you that if this be the case, that if they should fall into transgression, it would be far more tolerable for the Lamanites than for them. So why all the hate? That's interesting. Why do the Lamanites get off, but the people of Ammonihah, no mercy. Yeah, We're going to destroy you if you don't repent. Why is that? We've got a couple of quotes to 
explore that, but let me share one from Sister Sherry Dew, who was serving at the time in the Relief Society General Presidency. We are unique, she says. We are unique because of our covenants, our spiritual privileges, and the responsibilities attached to both. We are endowed with power and gifted with the Holy Ghost. We have a living prophet to guide us, ordinances that bind us to the Lord and to each other, and the power of the priesthood in our midst. We understand where we stand in the great plan of happiness, and we know that God is our Father and that His Son is our unfailing advocate. With these privileges comes great responsibility, for unto whom much is given, much is required. Quoting their Doctrine and Covenants 82.3. But that's just the first half of that verse. That's correct. And it continues with, And he who sins against the greater light shall receive the greater condemnation. From the Old Gospel Doctrine Manual, we have this quote from Brigham Young from the Journal of Discourses. This is volume 16. He says, quote, Those who do not profess to know anything of the Lord are far better off than we are unless we live our religion. For we who know our Master's will and do it not will be beaten with many stripes, while they who do not know the Master's will and do it not will be beaten with few stripes. This is perfectly reasonable. We cannot chastise a child for doing that which is contrary to our wills if he knows no better. But when our children are taught better and know what is required of them, if they then rebel, of course they expect to be chastised, and it is perfectly right that they should be. End quote. That's the deal here. Yeah. The people of Ammonihah knew better. They had yeah. been brought up with the church and have deliberately rebelled against it and rejected it. And we forget it's not just the responsibilities. It's all the blessings the Lord gives us. All the blessings like Sister Dew talked about. The Lord blesses us so much, even though living the gospel is not easy. He helps us to become something greater, to turn against that. Well, it requires us forgetting. And that's not what we covenanted to do. That's right. Every week by yeah. the way, that we remember yeah. and take the sacrament to remember. Yeah. Verse 26, this is, gets into what Jay was talking about earlier. And not many days hence, the Son of God shall come in his glory, and his glory shall be the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace, equity, and truth, full of patience, mercy, and long-suffering, quick to hear the cries of his people and to answer their prayers, and behold, he cometh to redeem those who will be baptized unto repentance through faith on his name. Now, as Jay pointed out, not many days hence, right now it's roughly 80 to 81 B.C. This is the 10th year of the reign of the judges. We are soon to have the mortal life of Jesus Christ. Although soon is a relative term. Years. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> That's... Yes. Not many days hence, yeah. as we pointed out, could be eight days, could be a hundred years. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. So verse 31, we get the people's reaction to Alma's words. And I'll bet it's positive. <laughs> right? We have no reason to believe that it's positive. No. Verse 31, 
Now it came to pass that when I, Alma, had spoken these words, Behold, the people were wroth with me, because I said unto them that they were a hard-hearted and a stiff-necked people. Wow, people don't like being called names. Also, in verse 31, again, Jay pointed out, he's saying, I, this is first person. This is Alma's record. And also because I said unto them that they were a lost and a fallen people. They were angry with me and sought to lay their hands upon me that they might cast me into prison. But it came to pass that the Lord did not suffer them that they should take me at that time and cast me into prison. And it came to pass that Amulek went and stood forth and began to preach unto them also. And now the words of Amulek are not all written. Nevertheless, a part of his words are written in this book. So that's Mormon telling us about how much he's going to insert. Right. And we don't know what stopped the people. That's the other weird thing. Yeah. Is that it seemed clear that they were angry and they were going to cast him into prison, but they didn't. Why? Yeah. We don't know. And was it that they stopped and then Amulek spoke? Or was it Amulek standing up that caused the people to stop? Well, unsure, but... Amulek will stand up and bear testimony. He certainly will. And he's a person who they recognize. This is chapter 10 that we're moving on to. Verse 2, I am Amulek. I am the son of Gedona, who was the son of Ishmael, who was a descendant of Amenadi. And it was that same Amenadi who interpreted the writing which was upon the wall of the temple, which was written by the finger of God. Amenadi was a descendant of Nephi. Yeah. Do we have that story? What? Um, um, Amulek? Amulek? Hi. This is someone from the future. (laughs) We have no idea what this story is. Could you expound? Could you fill us in? It sounds really cool, and we don't want to miss anything. It sounds amazing. We don't mean to interrupt your sermon, but we're wondering if maybe you could just tell us a little bit about it. You know what, Jay? I, I, I don't think he can hear us. Oh, well, well fine. or he can, but <laughs> it's a little he's late not talking now. to us. Well, okay. Yes. So, uh, first of all, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, this echoes a story that happened in Daniel's Daniel. record. So, here's a couple of things that are interesting about it. This may have been, I think, maybe likely was part of the missing 116 pages, as we call them, because it's mentioned here almost as if, well, you guys know that story. You know that story? Yeah, that one. There's some interesting features about it, even though we don't have the account. This idea of the Lord writing his message or by his touch making his message manifest. I'm actually going to talk about this a little bit more when we get to Ether and the brother of Jared's experience on the mountain. But when the Lord uses language writing to communicate a message like he did for Moses when he wrote with his finger on the tablets of stone while Moses was in the mountain, the message was clear to the people. If we think about the Lord using words, maybe he wrote with his finger. We don't know how the writing appeared on the Liahona, but those words were clear for everybody to understand. But in the story of Daniel and in this story, the Lord wrote a message to whoever, in Daniel it was to uh, wicked people who were in the temple who should not have been, and it was written in another language. And Daniel interprets it to the condemnation of those who were taking the temple lightly. 
maybe that's the same thing. It was written in another language and required somebody else, in this case Aminadi, to interpret the writing on the wall so that those who it was being given to could understand it. That's a unique situation. And it at least allows some pondering as to what the significance of that is. Why was Aminadi so important? Who was this guy? And what was the message? I really wish we knew. I really wish we knew. And so now we've heard Amulek's backstory. We know his ancestry and we know a hint of an amazing story that we don't know anything more about. But he's a descendant of that person. He's a descendant of that person. In verse 4, And behold, I am also a man of no small reputation among all those who know me. Yea, and behold, I have many kindreds and friends, and I have also acquired much riches by the hand of my industry. Nevertheless, after all this, I never have known much of the ways of the Lord and his mysteries and marvelous power. I said I never had known much of these things, But behold, I mistake, for I have seen much of his mysteries and his marvelous power, yea, even in the preservation of the lives of this people. Nevertheless, I did harden my heart, for I was called many times and I would not hear. Therefore I knew concerning these things, yet I would not know. Therefore I went on rebelling against God in the wickedness of my heart. And he goes on to talk about the time leading up to this point. And he shares the story of being visited by an angel and coming upon Alma and bringing him into his home and feeding him and so on and so forth. But he goes on, verse 11, for behold, he hath blessed mine house. He hath blessed me and my women and my children and my father and my kinsfolk. Yea, even all my kindred hath he blessed and the blessing of the Lord hath rested upon us according to the words which he spake. So he has got a powerful testimony, not only because he is a man of no small reputation among Ammonihah, but he is bearing witness of him being visited by an angel and by the angel's promises being fulfilled by taking Alma into his house. This phrasing in here, uh, how it describes Amulek as someone who recognizes the Lord's hand working in his life, protecting him, blessing him, and calling him. And yet, he would not. I wonder how much he was beginning to recognize that more and more as it led up to this moment, or maybe while he was with Alma. But Alma talked about the danger of the forgetting. Amulek's testifying that he remembers all these things, including his own deficiencies. I did harden my heart. I was called many times. And I would not hear. It's a purposeful statement. That's an amazing insight into Amulek's character. What a remarkable person to be able to be confronted with your own mistakes and to be able to confess them. Yes, I was like you guys, but I realized I was rejecting things that I already knew were true. Yeah. Which I imagine that message was said because it would really resonate with people. Amulek knows a lot of people. And maybe he also knows that there's a lot of people that were having the same experience he was having. And uh, now he's testifying of the blessings that come. It wasn't even just his blessings. It didn't just bless Amulek. 
It blessed his whole house and his family and his friends. So what was the reaction of the people? Verse 12. And now when Amulek had spoken these words, the people began to be astonished, seeing there was more than one witness who testified of the things whereof they were accused, and also of the things which were to come according to the spirit of prophecy which was in them. You remember part of their rejection early on was, hey, they only sent one man. Why should we pay attention to the testimony of one man? Well, here's a second man. Yep. And not only is it a second man, it's a man from your city. Yep. A guy you know. Nevertheless, there were some among them who thought to question them, that by their cunning devices they might catch them in their words, that they might find witness against them, that they might deliver them to their judges, that they might be judged according to the law, and that they might be slain or cast into prison according to the crime which they could make appear or witness <laughs> against them. Wow. So it's not even that they are trying to find something illegal that they've been doing. It's that they're trying to figure out a way to make it look like they've done something <laughs> illegal. Uh, these guys love their jobs. They do. Now, it was those men who sought to destroy them who were lawyers, who were hired or appointed by the people to administer the law at their times of trials or at the trials of the crimes of the people before the judges. Now, these lawyers were learned in all the arts and cunning of the people. And this was to enable them that they might be skillful in their profession. And it came to pass that they began to question Amulek, that thereby they might make him cross his words or contradict the words which he should speak. Interesting. Why are they targeting Amulek? Alma was the one that started all this problem. That's interesting. Right? But they're focusing their efforts on Amulek. You know, I was looking when you read this, verse 15... These are great gifts that God has blessed them with, not just their abilities, but the opportunity to be learned in all the arts and cunning of the people. But their education, their maybe practice of rhetoric could all be used to do good things. And it's a privilege that they were given these opportunities, but they use them, as we will see, to try to destroy the work of God. Jay brings up a really good point that we all need to remember for those of us, particularly in the United States or more developed countries in the world, we often take education for granted. Education was not a thing in ancient times. Well, you know, maybe except in your craft or, you know, skill set that Certainly. was your job. But to be expanded like they had, they definitely had great opportunities. Certainly. There was a much more of a situation of like a vocational or master apprentice type of situation for yeah. a specific skill. But something as broad as legal education, it's yeah. not that it didn't exist. It wasn't widespread. Yeah. You only had a handful of people that really pursued that kind of route. And they were supposed to pursue it for the blessing of the people. Uh huh. Until that's... they discovered that, wow, <laughs> we can abuse this power. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> as I think they go we're going to do that. As they go on to explain. Indeed. So in the next few verses, Amulek detects the lawyer's plan through, obviously, the spirit of the Lord and rebukes them. And they are stunned because he seems to know their thoughts. In verse 22, this is Amulek speaking. 
Yea, and I say unto you that if it were not for the prayers of the righteous who are now in the land, that ye would even now be visited with utter destruction. The prayers of the righteous? Interesting. Verse 23, But it is by the prayers of the righteous that ye are spared. Now therefore, if ye will cast the righteous from among you, then will not the Lord stay his hand. But in his fierce anger he will come out against you. Then ye shall be smitten by famine and by pestilence and by the sword, and the time is soon at hand, except ye repent. Does this sound familiar to any of you? You remember a story in the book of Genesis about Sodom and Gomorrah? Yeah, I would talk about, and that was an excellent example of soon at hand. Ammonihah is as well. These people have prepared themselves for destruction, and it will happen. Spoiler alert. Mm. In the coming chapter, soon. There is a quote that was included in both the Old Gospel Doctrine Manual and in the Institute Manual from President Spencer W. Kimball. This is from April 1971 General Conference. He says, quote, There are many, many upright and faithful who live all the commandments and whose lives and prayers keep the world from destruction, end quote. Consider that. Yeah. So the lawyer's reaction, verse 24, And now it came to pass that the people were more angry with Amulek, and they cried out, saying, This man doth revile against our laws, which are just, and our wise lawyers, whom we have selected. But Amulek stretched forth his hand and cried the mightier unto them, saying, O ye wicked and perverse generation, why hath Satan got such great hold upon your hearts? Will ye yield yourselves unto him, that he may have power over you to blind your eyes, that ye will not understand the words which are spoken according to their truth? For behold, have I testified against your law? Ye do not understand. Ye say that I have spoken against your law, but I have not. But I have spoken in favor of your law to your condemnation. Slam. Yikes. I love that line. That is absolutely beautiful. How often have there been people rebuked for saying something in this situation? They're accusing Amulek of saying something against their law when, in fact, he's saying something quite in line with their law, but it highlights their wickedness. And so they've you know, they feel that it hurts their feelings. It cuts them to the very center, as it were. Yeah, and it's maybe hard to understand exactly what we're talking about, but they give us an example, uh, a live example of this coming up. Oh, yes. Verse 28, we are introduced to a man named Zeezrom. And now it came to pass that when Amulek had spoken these words, the people cried out against him, saying, Now we know that this man is a child of the devil, for he hath lied unto us, for he hath spoken against our law, and now he says that he has not spoken against it. And again, he has reviled against our lawyers and our judges. And it came to pass that the lawyers put it into their hearts that they should remember these things against him. And there was one among them whose name was Zeezrom. Now, he was the foremost to accuse Amulek and Alma, he being one of the most expert among them, having much business to do among the people. Now, before we go on with the story, if you find yourself in a place like in verse 30, these lawyers 
took the words that Amulek said and, and the people's response to them, and they put it in their hearts that they should remember these things against him. Have you ever done that with somebody? When they've said something reproachful, resentful, maybe even cruel or dumb, and you said, I'm going to file that away for later. I'm going to bring that up when I want to get the upper hand against them. If we have felt that way, if we've done that, the example we're following is Zeezrom, not Alma and Amulek, who are God's servants. Well, and not only that, you're right to bring that up, but think about the phrase, to put it into their hearts, that they should remember these things. Taking that phrase out of context, don't we want to do that normally with good <laughs> things that we read? You know, isn't that, yeah. doesn't that describe, for example, Mary's reaction to a lot of her spiritual experiences in the New Testament, Mary, the mother of Jesus? Yeah. You know, that she, she ponders these things in her, in her heart. This is normally a good thing. Yeah. But it can also be used for very terrible things. As good they point. prove. Yeah. So we start in chapter 11. Now, I am not going to read this, but for the first 19 verses, we have a very intricate description of Nephite coinage. And what's the purpose of that, do you think? I don't know. Well, other than we are going to have a story here that is going to introduce one of the Nephite coinages. And so Mormon or Alma or someone decided that it would be important that the reader understand Oh, yeah, this is how we do our money. I'm going to propose that that's Mormon. And the reason is that there are other times, like Alma 22, when he takes a break from the narrative. And like in Alma 22, he gives us this whole exposition of geography. He says, oh, okay, you know what? You guys may not understand how the land is laid out. Here we go. And he lays out the land so that people can understand the context of the story. And it seems like that might be the thing here too. He's taking a break to share the information about the monetary system so that we'll understand the significance of the bribe that's about to come up. Now, for those of you who are fans of the show and have heard a lot of our earlier episodes, you know that Jay and I love a good drama and we got a <laughs> great one here in chapter yeah. 11. Please indulge and us. So, yes, please do. Jay, do you want to take the Wonderful role of Zeezrom. I would be delighted to do so. <laughs> Let's do it. Verse 20. Now it was for their sole purpose to get gain, because they received their wages according to their employ. Speaking here of the lawyers. Yes. Therefore they did stir up the people to riotings and all manner of disturbances and wickedness, that they might have more employ, that they might get money according to the suits which were brought before them. Therefore they did stir up the people against Alma and Amulek, so for those of you who think that ambulance chasers are a new thing, evidently they have been around for a long time. Well, and consider this too. In our day, the idea of fantastical news stories or fantastical, they call it clickbait. People are trying to rile up other people in order to just get more attention, more money, you know, to be relevant. This hasn't gone away. Nope. And it's not a new thing. Yeah. To quote Ecclesiastes, there's evidently nothing new under the sun. <laughs> Verse 21, And this Zeezrom began to question Amulek, saying, Will ye answer me a few questions, which I shall ask you? Now Zeezrom was a man who was expert in the devices of the devil. 
Yea, if it be according to the Spirit of the Lord which is in me, for I shall say nothing which is contrary to the Spirit of the Lord. Behold, here are six aunties of silver, and all these will I give thee, if thou wilt deny the existence of a supreme being. O thou child of hell, why tempt ye me? Knowest thou that the righteous yieldeth to no such temptations? Believest thou that there is no God? I say unto you, Nay, thou knowest that there is a God, but thou lovest that lucre more than him. And now thou hast lied before God unto me. Thou saidst unto me, Behold, these six aunties, which are of great worth, I will give unto thee, when thou hadst in thy heart to retain them from me. And it was only thy desire that I should deny the true and living God, that thou mightest have cause to destroy me. And now, behold, for this great evil, thou shalt have thy reward. Ouch. I want to point out something. I want to geek out for just a little bit. Six aunties, all right? We are told in the earlier part of the chapter that an auntie is essentially worth seven days wages for a judge. So six aunties would be 42 days wages. Now, if you think about this in context of modern money, I looked up the Utah Supreme Court justices. Their salaries range generally from 162000 to 178000 And I'll save you the math. But in a nutshell, 42 days wages for a Utah Supreme Court justice right now would be roughly $20,000. That was not a small amount of money. Yeah, but it didn't fool him. No, it sure didn't. Going on. Thou sayest there is a true and living God? Yea, there is a true and living God. Is there more than one God? No. How knowest thou these things? An angel hath made them known unto me. Hmm. Who is he that shall come? Is it the Son of God? Yea. Shall he save his people in their sins? I say unto you, he shall not, for it is impossible for him to deny his word. Hmm. See, see that ye remember these things, for he said, There is but one God, yet he saith that the Son of God shall come but he shall not save his people, as though he had authority to command God. Behold, thou hast lied, for thou sayest that I spake as though I had authority to command God, because I said he shall not save his people in their sins. And I say unto you again that he cannot save them in their sins, for I cannot deny his word. For he hath said that no unclean thing can inherit the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, how can ye be saved except ye inherit the kingdom of heaven? Therefore, ye cannot be saved in your sins. Is the Son of God the very eternal Father? Yea, he is the very eternal Father of heaven and of earth, and all things which in them are. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. And he shall come into the world to redeem his people, and he shall take upon him the transgressions of those who believe on his name. And these are they that shall have eternal life, and salvation cometh to none else. Therefore the wicked remain as though there had been no redemption made, 
except it be the loosing of the bands of death. For behold, the day cometh that all shall rise from the dead and stand before God and be judged according to their works. Now there is a death which is called a temporal death, and the death of Christ shall loose the bands of this temporal death, that all shall be raised from this temporal death. The spirit and the body shall be reunited again in its perfect form. Both limb and joint shall be restored to its proper frame, even as we now are at this time, and we shall be brought to stand before God, knowing even as we know now, and having a bright recollection of all our guilt. This is amazing to me. That's such a description. This is an amazing sermon. It's interesting to note, as he's getting to preach the gospel, what is he saying that's going to be of most importance to this people? Remembering that there's a lot of followers of Nehor here who was of the idea that everybody will be saved. He makes it very clear that there will be a judgment. There is a resurrection. There is a judgment. And what you do here now, there will be an accounting for that. There will be. And this is probably one of the more descriptive verses talking about the resurrection in particular. Verse 44, Now this restoration shall come to all, both old and young, both bond and free, both male and female, both the wicked and the righteous. And even there shall not so much as a hair of their heads be lost. Oh, that's wonderful. I love that one. You know, I do too. And you have to understand that as far as our caricatures go, they may not look exactly like us, but let's just say they got our hair right. <laughs> oh, hey, John, I read ahead. We've got a problem. But everything shall be restored to its perfect frame as it is now. Oh. <laughs> See, my caricature is a lot thinner than I am. I'm just saying. Hey, you know what? Who knows what this is all going to be like? But, you know, for those of us without hair, that's this is, you know, this is very encouraging. It's inspiring. <laughs> now, when Amulek had finished these words, the people began again to be astonished. And also Zeezrom began to tremble. And thus ended the words of Amulek, or this is all that I've written. And again, this is Mormon speaking at this point. Now we go on to chapter 12. And Alma takes over again. Verse 1. Now Alma, seeing that the words of Amulek had silenced Zeezrom, for he beheld that Amulek caught him in his lying and deceiving to destroy him, and seeing that he began to tremble under a consciousness of his guilt, he opened his mouth and began to speak unto him, and established the words of Amulek, and to explain the things beyond or to unfold the scriptures beyond that which Amulek had done. Now the words that Alma spake unto Zeezrom were heard by the people round about, for the multitude was great. And he spake on this wise, Now Zeezrom, seeing that thou hast been taken in thy lying and craftiness, for thou hast not lied unto men only, but thou hast lied unto God. For behold, he knows all thy thoughts, and thou seest that thy thoughts are made known unto us by his Spirit. Going on, Now I would that ye should remember that what I say unto thee, I say unto all. And behold, I say unto you all that this was a snare of the adversary, which he has laid to catch this people, that he might bring you into subjection unto him, that he might encircle you about with his chains, that he might chain you down to everlasting destruction according to the power of his captivity. This had to have been amazing 
to witness firsthand. You have a group of lawyers who are obviously well-respected, or at least had made a good living on what they did, slammed by an outsider that they barely know and someone in the city who doesn't appear to be a lawyer. Yeah, and against their best lawyer. Right. Verse 7. Now when Alma had spoken these words, Zeezrom began to tremble more exceedingly, for he was convinced more and more of the power of God, and he was also convinced that Alma and Amulek had a knowledge of him, for he was convinced that they knew the thoughts and intents of his heart. For power was given unto them that they might know of these things according to the spirit of prophecy. And Zeezrom began to inquire of them diligently that he might know more concerning the kingdom of God. And he said unto Alma, What does this mean which Amulek hath spoken concerning the resurrection of the dead, that all shall rise from the dead, both the just and the unjust, and are brought to stand before God to be judged according to their works? And now Alma began to expound these things unto him, saying, It is given unto many to know the mysteries of God. Nevertheless, they are laid under a strict command, that they shall not impart only according to the portion of his word which he doth grant unto the children of men, according to the heed and diligence which they give unto him. And therefore he that will harden his heart, the same receiveth the lesser portion of the word. And he that will not harden his heart, to him is given the greater portion of the word, until it is given unto him to know the mysteries of God, until he know them in full. And they that will harden their hearts, to them is given the lesser portion of the word until they know nothing concerning his mysteries. And then they are taken captive by the devil and led by his will down to destruction. Now this is what is meant by the chains of hell. Wow, what an interesting use of a term, mysteries of God. And I love the spelling out of the greater portion of the word and the lesser portion of the word. We kind of had an example of this already in our last lesson with Zarahemla and Gideon, right? Gideon was being more righteous, and so they received a greater portion of the word. But for the people of Ammonihah who had hardened their hearts, they're given a lesser portion of the word. And what's interesting about this is that on the surface, it may seem unfair, But in the end, it's actually really merciful. Because didn't we just talk about that to those who much is given, much is required? Yeah. So for those who won't accept even the lesser portion of the word, we're going to stave off giving them the greater portion. Because if we give them the greater portion, now they'll be responsible for that knowledge. Yeah. And they're not ready to be responsible for that knowledge. Well, and we had the classic example. You were great to point out Gideon and Zarahemla, the cities. Classically, we've got Nephi and his family. How much more was Nephi able to understand of the mysteries of God because of what he was willing to do, to act on it, so that he could receive more? Laman and Lemuel hardened their heart, and as a result, they received less and less. It's a choice. So I've just got a quick anecdote about this. It was a lesson that I learned as a young missionary. There was a family that wasn't, that were members, but not attending. And their daughter was having the missionary lessons. And the mom was participating because she was interested in kind of 
relearning some of this stuff. And we had given the challenge to the daughter to read and pray. And the mom was taking on that challenge. But every week when we came back, the mom was saying, look, I did what you said. I read, I prayed, and I got no answer. Well, as a young missionary, I thought, well, wait, this is supposed to work, isn't it? It's like a, you know, it's like a, a code. You pop in the buttons and then, then the answer comes out. I had a lot to learn yet at that point. But I was really puzzled and I kept trying to work with her about, well, was she not listening? Maybe she was getting answers she didn't recognize or whatever. Ultimately, and this was after the third or fourth time of going through this, the spirit popped a thought into my mind. And I said, if you receive an answer that the gospel is true, will you go back to church and keep the commandments and, and enter into covenants with the Lord? Oh, no, she said. No, no. I just was curious. Well, there you go. These answers aren't just put out there for curiosity. Answers are given to those who will open their heart to act on the answers they receive. So it's really a choice how much we get to receive. It's up to us. It is. And for those who will take the challenge and humble themselves and receive, they will receive greater blessings and greater light and a greater portion of the word. And for those who just don't want it, it won't be given to them. It'll never be forced on us. Yeah. So what are the mysteries of God? From the Institute Manual, we have a quote from President Joseph Fielding Smith. This comes from his book, Church History and Modern Revelation. He says, quote, The Lord has promised to reveal his mysteries to those who serve him in faithfulness. The gospel is very simple, so that even children at the age of accountability may understand it. Without question, there are principles which in this life we cannot understand. But when the fullness comes, we will see that all is plain and reasonable and within our comprehension. The simple principles of the gospel, such as baptism, the atonement, are mysteries to those who do not have the guidance of the Spirit of the Lord. End quote. I love that. Because we talked about in previous lessons the notion that the Lord has given us three ways to discover truth, right? We have our physical senses, our intellectual reasoning, and revelation. And for those who don't have revelation, and I'm sure all of you know someone who doesn't, you don't have that anchor. You don't have that foundation of, well, I know this is true regardless of what anyone says or whatever research is discovered or whatever, this is true because I have had one-on-one -on -one communication with our creator and he's explained to me, this is true. When you don't have that anchor, anything could be true. And often anything is. But going on to the lesser portion of the word, there's another quote that I had gotten from the Institute Manual. This is from Elder Dallin H. Oaks from his book, The Lord's Way. Quote, We teach and learn the mysteries of God by revelation from his Holy Spirit. If we harden our hearts to revelation and limit our understanding to what we can obtain by study and reason, we are limited to what Alma calls the lesser portion of the word. End quote. When you deliberately handicap yourself to discovering truth, yeah, you get the lesser portion of the word. Yeah, let's not do that. Nope. Going on, 
Verse 12, And Amulek hath spoken plainly concerning death and being raised from this mortality to a state of immortality and being brought before the bar of God to be judged according to our works. Then if our hearts have been hardened, yea, if we have hardened our hearts against the word insomuch that it has not been found in us, then will our state be awful. For then we shall be condemned. For our words will condemn us. Yea, all our works will condemn us. We shall not be found spotless, and our thoughts will also condemn us. And in this awful state, we shall not dare to look up to our God. And we would fain be glad if we could command the rocks and the mountains to fall upon us, to hide us from his presence. Along that line, again from the Institute Manual, then Elder Dallin H. Oaks gives us this quote from October 2000 General Conference. Quote, The prophet Nephi describes the final judgment in terms of what we have become. And if their works have been filthiness, they must needs be filthy. And if they be filthy, it must needs be that they cannot dwell in the kingdom of God. Moroni declares, He that is filthy shall be filthy still, and he that is righteous shall be righteous still. The same would be true of selfish or disobedient or any other personal attribute inconsistent with the requirements of God. Referring to the state of the wicked in the final judgment, Alma explains that if we are condemned by our words, our works, and our thoughts, we shall not be found spotless. And in this awful state, we shall not dare to look up to our God. From such teachings, we conclude that the final judgment is not just an evaluation of a sum total of good and evil acts, what we have done. It is an acknowledgment of the final effect of our acts and thoughts, what we have become. It is not enough for anyone just to go through the motions. The commandments, ordinances, and covenants of the gospel are not a list of deposits required to be made in some heavenly account. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a plan that shows us how to become what our Heavenly Father desires us to become, end quote. I love that vision. That really it resonates really with It really is me. important. We've talked a lot about this in previous lessons, but it's important. It's yeah. not a checklist. We are not taking a pharisaical approach to the gospel of, well, we did this, we did this, we did this, we went to church on Sunday oh. every week. You know, it is, what have you become? How did it change Because us? you have done this thing. We need to be a yes. new creature, a better creature. So, Jay, do you want to keep reading here in verse 19? Sounds great. Now, it came to pass that when Alma had made an end of speaking these words, the people began to be more astonished. But there was one, Antiana who was a chief ruler among them, came forth and said unto him, What is this that thou hast said, that man should rise from the dead and be changed from this mortal to an immortal state, that the soul can never die? What does the scripture mean, which saith, that God placed cherubim and a flaming sword on the east of the Garden of Eden, lest our first parents should enter and partake of the fruit of the tree of life and live forever. And thus we see that there was no possible chance that they should live forever. 
Now Alma said unto him, This is the thing which I was about to explain. Now we see that Adam did fall by the partaking of the forbidden fruit according to the word of God. And thus we see that by his fall, all mankind became a lost and fallen people. And now behold, I say unto you that if it had been possible for Adam to have partaken of the fruit of the tree of life at that time, there would have been no death. And the word would have been void, making God a liar. For he said, If thou eat, thou shalt surely die. And we see that death comes upon mankind. Yea, the death which has been spoken of by Amulek, which is the temporal death. Nevertheless, there was a space granted unto man in which he might repent. Therefore, this life became a probationary state, a time to prepare to meet God, a time to prepare for that endless state which has been spoken of by us, which is after the resurrection of the dead. I love how patient he is with this question from the lawyer. In particular, I find it interesting that he would use a term like probation when he's speaking to a group of lawyers. Right. Well, and this is one of the most clear explanations of the Garden of Eden and the concept of what was the problem with having Adam and Eve partake of the fruit of the tree of life. Yeah, and for me, I think this is also one of the shortest and clearest explanations, and I know there's others, about the purpose of life. Why are we here? It's a probationary time, a time for us to prepare to meet God and all that that entails. Going on, verse 32, Therefore God gave unto them commandments, after having made known unto them the plan of redemption, that they should not do evil, the penalty thereof being a second death, which was an everlasting death as to things pertaining unto righteousness. For on such the plan of redemption could have no power. For the works of justice could not be destroyed according to the supreme goodness of God. Now, if we think of the Adam and Eve story in the book of Genesis, it is not clear that Adam and Eve necessarily received instructions about the plan of salvation. Now, in the book of Moses, we know that they did. And in the book of Mormon, here, we have that insight of that God gave them commandments after having made known unto them the plan of redemption. There was a really nice quote in the Institute Manual that I want to share with you from President Boyd K. Packer. This was from a church education system symposium on August 10, 1993, his talk, The Great Plan of Happiness. He says, quote, Young people wonder why. Why are we commanded to do some things? And why are we commanded not to do other things? A knowledge of the plan of happiness, even in outline form, can give your minds a why. Most of the difficult questions we faced in the church right now, and we could list them, abortion and all the rest of them, all of the challenges of who holds the priesthood and who does not, cannot be answered without some knowledge of the plan as a background. Alma said this, and this is, I think, of late, my favorite scripture. 
although I change now and again. God gave unto them commandments after having made known unto them the plan of redemption. If you are trying to give students a why, follow that pattern. God gave unto them commandments after having made known unto them the plan of redemption. End quote. I love that. Yeah. And I found that in my own life. Oftentimes when you find yourself arguing with someone who may not agree with you, either politically or spiritually or whatever, often the problem is we haven't established a base of understanding. We haven't gone to the foundation of why we believe what we believe. And in the church, it is so important that we ourselves understand, but also when we talk to other people, hey, we have to recognize we have an understanding of Adam and Eve, of the purpose of the earth, the purpose of life, and the afterlife that nobody else has. And we need to remember that when yeah. we are talking to someone else. Yep. It's a treasure. Well, Jay, do you want to take us home with the rest of the chapter? That sounds great. If we jumped into 34, understand that Alma is quoting God here. So he's going on. He says, Therefore, whoso repenteth and hardeneth not his heart, he shall have claim on mercy through mine only begotten Son unto a remission of his sins, and these shall enter into my rest. And whosoever will harden his heart and will do iniquity, behold, I swear in my wrath that he shall not enter into my rest. And now, my brethren, behold, I say unto you, that if ye will harden your hearts, ye shall not enter into the rest of the Lord. Notice that he's bearing testimony that he quoted that God was saying before. This is his testimony that he knows it's true. Therefore your iniquity provoketh him, that he sendeth down his wrath upon you, as in the first provocation, yea, according to his word, in the last provocation, as well as the first, to the everlasting destruction of your souls. Therefore, according to his word, unto the last death, as well as the first. And now, my brethren, seeing we know these things, and they are true, let us repent and harden not our hearts, that we provoke not the Lord our God to pull down his wrath upon us in these his second commandments, which he has given unto us. But let us enter into the rest of God, which is prepared according to his word. We talked about this in the past, but I love the notion that the rest of God, the reward for the righteous, is prepared. It's ready for us. It's ours to lose. Let's choose to show up to follow the Lord. You know, something stuck out to me this time around as Jay read that, that Alma is not saying to the people, well, you better listen to what I say or, or you're going to be destroyed. Listen to that verbiage in verse 37. Let us repent yeah. Yeah. and harden not our hearts. He's including himself here. Yeah. He's saying, look, hey, we're all part of the same program. Yeah. And we yeah. all need to repent. We all need to change. 
That's a real difference. One of the things that should really stick out to you if you are investigating religion or spirituality at all, pay attention to that. Are you receiving a message from someone who says, well, you better believe what I say because I know things or because I am who I am? Or is this a person who is coming down to your level and saying, you know what, you're my brother or you're my sister and here's the plan that we've been given and we all need to do this. Yeah. Something to think about. Well, and what a great way to close this lesson today with the admonishment, brothers and sisters, let us enter into the rest of God. It's waiting for us. Let us do that together. May the words that we've talked about today, the words of Alma and Amulek, ultimately the words of the Lord, may they bless you and may you receive strength from them as you study them. Absolutely. And please keep reading the scriptures. They will bring great blessings into your lives. And we look forward to talking to you again at our next lesson. We'll see you then. This podcast is not officially affiliated with The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But we're really big fans. <laughs>